You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, it's summertime and there's meat on the fire in the backyard with the barbecue. Don't you smell it in the neighborhood? Oh, Somebody's yeah. cooking. Well, you know, as we look at the tabernacle, we're going to find meat on a fire there, too. But the purpose is not to have a barbecue. Totally different. We're going to find out today on, on More Than, Than Ink. Good morning, I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And we are sitting here at our dining room table about to feed on the Word of God as we, yeah. as we are in the habit of doing when yeah. we sit down to record these, these conversations for you. And we've been talking for a few weeks now about the tabernacle, the instructions for the tabernacle, God's tent. God's tent. In the midst of right. his people. And just to remind you, we're still on the mountaintop with Moses during those 40 yeah, days. Yeah, that's right. And he's still just receiving the instructions yeah. later on we're going to come to Exodus when all of the instructions will be repeated in the actual building yeah, and they'll of do the it. tabernacle. Yeah. But at this point, we're just receiving the instructions. And so God keeps saying to him, now, I showed you the pattern on the mountain. Make sure you do exactly as the pattern you saw. Right. And, so, and to remind you, this is God's intention. This is his working out of wanting to dwell in their midst. Right. You know, I'll remind you, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that when they when they actually did their camping out in the desert. They would pitch their tents in a very specific pattern, right. and in the center of that pattern was God's tent. Well, this is it. This is what we're talking about. God's tent as he travels with them across the desert and in the promised land, and God is very specific about the design of the tent because in no small term, it turns out that the design of the tent speaks volumes about the nature of God and our relationship mm-hmm. with him and our approach to him. Right. And in fact, last time we talked about the only entrance into the tabernacle being this beautiful linen wall, basically. And as you looked at it, you'd say, that's the entrance. Right, a hanging curtain. Yeah. So. so we're moving now into the outer court. Yeah, we're going inside and to outside. Today we're going to yeah. focus on the major piece that is out there in mm-hmm. the outer court. And it still is within an enclosure, but this right. part's open to the sky. Right. And that is the bronze altar that's out there. Yeah. And so God's very specific about the instructions about the altar. So we're just going to read these seven or eight verses that that give give God's instructions for the building of the altar. Yeah. And then yeah. spend the rest of our time probably talking about the significance what of it, what, what happens at yeah. the altar. Right, what it means. Well, I'll, I'll start into it. We're okay. in chapter well, 27. We're oh, going to oh. use the word altar. What is an altar exactly? Well, in, so, it, in its crudest sense, it's a killing place. Okay, that's literally what the Hebrew word means, a yeah. place of yeah. sacrifice. It's a place of sacrifice, yeah. And so this is where they'd bring their burnt offerings. Right. You know, live animals would be brought up to it. They'd be killed. They'd be burned on this on this thing. This right. is what we're talking about. This is this bronze okay. altar. And God had told them earlier in the in Exodus. Now, when you build an altar to me, make it earth or make it uncut stones. Right. If you wield your tools on it, you will profane it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we have to. The altar is according to God's design. Exactly. Well, let's see what the design is. Okay. Chapter 27, verse 1. Well, you shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. 
and you shall make horns for it on all four corners. Its horns shall be uh, one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. Uh, let's just stop there because okay. he's going to make stuff that goes with it. So we're talking about uh, talking about what so far is just kind of a it's a box. It looks like a box, it's an open box. Yeah, and our measurements about seven and a half feet wide and seven and a half feet wide. You know, it's a, a square. square on top, mm-hmm. and it's about it's about four and a half feet tall. So it's about a person tall. So this is a this is a big thing. And, uh, and on top of that, that's where the sacrifice of these animals is going to take place. Okay. And it says you shall make horns for it on horns? the four corners. So there's something that pokes up yeah. on each of the corners. And we're not quite sure what the significance of that is. Right, right. Uh, but God's very specific now. The, the corners have meaning. Make the horns. Right, yeah. And there is some really good speculation. I haven't gotten very deep into it. But one thing when he says horns, yeah, you know, think horns on a cow. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we're talking right. horns, horns. And uh, some speculation was it was used to tie the animals that were being sacrificed. You tie them to those horns. But we know in other places, this is not speculation, that the blood from those sacrifices was actually sprinkled on those horns. Right. What that means, symbolically, it could be a number of things. But the other thing is, in, in Old Testament symbology, when you talked about the horn of an animal... You're talking about focused, focused power. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember being nudged once by a cow calf <laughs> that had little nubby had little nubby horns that were maybe the size of my thumb. And this calf was very affectionate. And he came up alongside me and kind of nuzzled my thigh and left a bruise there. Because <laughs> when you're talking about a 500-pound animal that pokes you with something the size of your thumb that's hard... It really hurts. Well, think about a, a developed sharp horn as well. So this is a horn in the Old Testament is always focused power and might. So that's an interesting thought because there is only one altar associated yeah. with the altar of, of burnt offering, the mm-hmm. altar of sacrifice, of sacrifice in God's yeah. tabernacle. Now, there's another altar inside that we'll talk about later, the yeah, altar still of to incense. Come. Yeah. But this is the, the bronze altar, and it's always referred to as the bronze, the bronze altar, altar, which indicates... It could withstand the heat yeah. of the fire. You're going to burn stuff Of there. the judgment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's different things that you have to use in administrating this altar. That shows up in verse 3. So you shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, shovels and basins and forks and fire pans, and you shall make all of its utensils of bronze. Okay, this tells us it was a real working device. Yeah, it wasn't right? symbolic. There was tools there that was, went with it. There was tools, yeah. And uh, in fact, those tools, I, I was curious about those. Uh, I, I won't make too big a deal out of it, but there was there was a need to actually shovel ashes out that right. had fat drippings in it. Those had to be dealt with and cleaned out. Uh, there were basins that very likely caught blood, you know, when you're up there mm-hmm. doing this. There were forks. You say forks? Oh, because the meat was roasting. Right. Well, yeah, I found out in 1 Samuel 2, there's a there's a place where it says there was this three-fingered fork mm-hmm. that they would go in and whatever meat they could pull out, that's what the priests could eat as their Yeah, you know, well, daily. that was an aberration. That wasn't that's what right. God commanded them. That was that's their right. disobedience. That was their disobedience. But that's, but that's what these forks are. And then there's fire pans ostensibly to carry coals into the other burning place, which is the altar of incense inside. So... You know, they, they, they were all very practical things to make this go. And all these utensils are made of bronze because they have to withstand the heat. Right. So that makes that makes a ton of sense. And then four, there's a little bit more. And you shall also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net, you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar. 
So here we get this thing to it. It looks more like a, a grate, grate on top of a yeah. barbecue. Yeah, to keep the to keep the to animals the off from, from the coals. The coals. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And then uh, since everything is portable during this time in Israel, verse six, and you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and uh, overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it's carried. So it's the portable thing again. Uh, and you shall make it hollow with boards, as has been shown you on the mountain, so it shall be made. So there's the specification for the bronze altar where burned sacrifices will take place. Mm. Yeah. So it strikes me that it's made of wood. It's overlaid yeah, isn't with that bronze. Interesting? Like how, yeah. Well, that would have meant that it was portable. Yeah. If it was solid enough. bronze, it would have required more than two guys and a couple of poles to carry Not it. Not going to move you it. You would never have been yeah. able to move it. Well, even this monstrous thing, even though it's at wood right. at the core and then overlaid with it's bronze. It's seven, seven and a half feet square. It's, yeah, it's monstrous. It's a big deal. I mean, it's the size of a car. Well, if you're going to sacrifice an ox... You yeah. need a pretty big grate. Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So this, so what goes on here is is an atonement for sin is what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, although the writer of Hebrews says that in a, in effect it really didn't do that, it kind of re, it sort of points us to where the real atonement through Christ comes from. But it was an atonement for it, if there was no sin in the nation of Israel, they wouldn't need this. <laughs> So isn't but it interesting that there's there's simply no explanation at this point. There's just God just says, now, to enter my tent, you have to pass the altar. Yeah. You yeah. have to come past the sacrifice. Yeah. It's part of the pathway toward the presence right. of God. And right. that's telling you something right there, symbolically, which is the path into the presence of God. Somewhere in that path, you have to deal with the problem of sin. Mm-hmm. And that's where these, these animal sacrifices are. We have to deal with sin. You can't just bypass this and walk around it and try and go into the presence of God. Somehow, in the one path in, you're going to have to deal with the issue of sin. Because sin causes death. Right. Right. And that set me thinking of what takes place at this altar is the sacrifice of animals, which requires the bloodletting, right? And yeah, they did yeah. some specific things with the blood. In in most of the daily sacrifices, they would cook the meat and then it would be eaten. It didn't mm-hmm. go to waste, except in the case of a whole burnt offering yeah. where the entire thing is consumed. Yeah. But it set me thinking of Leviticus uh, 1711, where God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Right. For it's the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So that's what's happening here. Yeah. And we talked about this once before. Blood seems like a kind of an icky thing to put on all these images. Mm. But but that's the core of it right there to what it says Leviticus is that they, they knew enough in terms of science of the body of animals and people that once you lose all your blood, you die. Right. So the, the very tight metaphor was there's life in the blood. As long as the blood is there, there's life in it. So right. when God wanted to paint a picture of the transferring of blood from one creature to another creature, he would do it by... The moving of this blood which is why again when you talk about the death of christ we're talking about being saved by his blood the blood the blood is kind of the medium of life itself and so that's what's going on here to atone for your sins something has to die because judgment for your sins would mean your death well is it possible that that's the life of another 
symbolically through that blood can be given on my behalf mm-hmm. and I can benefit and have, have life. That's what the whole blood imagery is meant to be. And they get that totally, more than we do. And that was a very ancient understanding, right? Yes. If you think yes, clear yes. back to what did Noah do after the flood, he's the first person in scripture recorded as building an altar. Right. And on it, he sacrificed one yeah. of those those clean animals that he had been carrying in the ark. So, right. you know, it, and think back to Genesis when Abraham takes his son Isaac up the mountain. Oh, yeah. To sacrifice him. On an altar. Altar. Yeah. Right? To exactly. pour out his blood. There's this ancient understanding that I, I owe a life because of my sin. Right. Because sin brings death. And blood and the shedding of that blood is the, is the visible symbol of the transference of right. life. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. You were going somewhere specific. Um, well, like. that was, I was just thinking about, oh, I was going back to chapter 24, when before Moses had come up on the mountain, remember, uh-huh. they had this covenant ceremony, and yeah, yeah. they slaughtered the animals, and Moses took the blood, and he sprinkled it on the altar, Right. and then he took the rest of the blood, and he sprinkled it on the people. On the people. So there's the transfer. There's the transfer right, right there. there. Very visible. So they already yeah. had done that at some sort of an altar, a stone altar, yeah. before yeah. Moses went up the mountain. But here we have God giving specific instructions saying, okay, now we're going to codify. Yeah. We're, we're going to make, it's only going to be done this way at this place, only at this altar. Right, in the pathway coming into the presence right. of God. You know, right. with him there. Yeah, and you know, the other cases before that you could think, well, this was just a particular event here. But here we're talking about the long term presence of God in their camp and they were gonna have to deal present constantly with the presence of sin in their lives. Okay, and we haven't gotten there yet, but we're gonna find out reading on that sacrifices were offered on this altar morning and night. Yeah, it was a busy place. So morning and night there were sacrifices, yeah. slaughtering of animals, shedding of blood, roasting of meat, and twice as often on Sabbath, twice as many. Right. So, right. Oh, right. there was constant activity at this altar. Yeah. And, you know, the blood issue, they, they went through Passover, right? We talked about Passover mm-hmm. and the fact that the, the lamb was sacrificed for the right. family and then you, they already had and you that collected picture. the blood from that lamb. And you and you painted on the doorpost of your house, kind of as a as a way to say the wrath of God doesn't come in here. This is the entryway, right? right. Yeah. So that that blood, they already know this really visibly. So this is this is not a foreign kind of symbol to them. And also, you know, that lamb on Passover was burnt and and totally eaten, totally and consumed, eaten, consumed. Yeah, totally consumed, taken in. So. So this is this is a more formalized way of saying this is going to be a part of your life from this point on as long as I live in your presence. That's going to happen. So let me circle back to the Passover for a minute and the painting of the blood on the doorway. Yeah. Because it's helpful if we remember what was going to happen in Egypt, right? When the God, the angel was going to pass through and, and slaughter the firstborn that yeah, night. Yeah, right. And so God's people had to go into their homes through that blood-soaked doorway, they went in to right, protection right. from the judgment that was going to fall. Yeah, and then the next day they went out. Then you go out the whole same way. Whole new life, right? Whole right. new beginning through right. the blood the yep. next day. So they already had that picture. So here it is, kind of solidified in the symbology of the tabernacle. Yeah, and so they and their kids would all know experientially. We have life today because a lamb gave its life for us. Something substituted. Something substituted for us. So mm-hmm. this is a very old idea. It's not made up in, in 
Jesus' death and resurrection, this is something that's a lifelong picture from the nation of Israel, which is because of your sin, judgment comes upon you and the wrath of God. That was the wrath of God in Egypt at Passover as well. You know, if God's going to live in your presence and you're going to live with him, we got to deal with the issue of sin. Mm -hmm. And you, we need to impart life to you symbolically through blood so that you can have life at the cost of another. And of course, that's just a gigantic pointer forward to the Lamb of God himself, Jesus, who is sacrificed on our behalf that we might find life through his death. Mm -hmm. And, and then Paul even goes on and says, not only through his death, but in his resurrection, we find life as well. So mm -hmm. we, so it's an interest. It's not just a, a coincidental connection back to this picture back in the tabernacle. This is God prepping their minds to think, you know, you, I want to live in your presence, but we have to take care of the problem of your sin. Something is going to have to die for you, so you can get my life. So mm -hmm. that's the context of why Jesus came as the Passover Lamb. That's what that's what John the Baptist called him. You know, the Lamb of God the lamb who takes away, takes away the, the sin, sin of, the, of world. the world. Yeah, so sin's the problem. And you could, I, I would dare say, I've said this many times that when you look at the life of Israel with first the tabernacle, the life around the tabernacle, and the life at the temple itself, when God finds a more permanent home in Jerusalem, uh, you know, the life at, the life at the temple is dominated by dealing with, with their God. with blood sin. and the failings of their sin mm -hmm. and it, and it's such and in fact the nation gets so large by the time Jesus comes around that the temple area it actually has built-in plumbing and drainways for the amount of blood that's created uh, and if you on think these about big it, events thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices that had to be brought at the Passover well, every family huge, had to bring their own lamb huge, yeah. that would have been that would have taken forever every levite in existence would have been employed it, it, in the it slaughtering was, and preparing it was of those a sacrifices busy place and blood flowed like you just cannot believe. I mean, they they speculate about a lot of the plumbing issues, the engineering problems yeah. with having that many animals sacrificed. But this is the beginning of it. This is God saying, I'm dwelling in your midst. And so we have to have a constant problem solved through the atonement of these animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So while you were talking, I was kind of looking for a passage that's been ringing in my head. I know it's in Hebrews 9 or 10, where the writer of Hebrews is talking about those who serve the, the tabernacle with its old system oh, right. uh, that we in Christ have an altar that those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Oh, right. Because they are Hebrew, still serving. Hebrews 13. Oh, it's 13. There Hebrews we go. 13. Uh, I'll find it so that I don't mangle it in the quoting. Oh, while you're going there, I'll bring out just another <laughs> little tidbit of truth. That's the Korah rebellion. Do you remember the Korah rebellion that happened yes. in numbers? The Korah rebellion, it was a pretty nasty deal. Uh, but but a whole bunch of bad people who challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron were basically swallowed up in the ground. That right. was their, but they but they had these censers, you know, these incense, incense things sensors. that these mm -hmm. bronze incense things they used. Uh, and God said, uh, as a reminder to this rebellion and how I judge this kind of thing, we're going to take. I think this is right. We're going to take these incense censers, these burners that the Korah people used in ministry. And we're going to melt them all down mm -hmm. and turn them into bronze plate. And we're going to we're going to actually clad this tabernacle altar right. with more bronze from right. their censers. And I've never quite figured out exactly what that's symbolizing. But he does say in the text there in Numbers that uh, that overlay would be something that people would see and recognize, and it would remind them. So last week that that's I, on this I altar. said that um, bronze in the scriptures is often associated with judgment. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, and this is one of the things that illustrates that, that we yeah. know bronze has a very high melting temperature, which is why it works 
in the in the uh, the burnt offering. Yeah, it's associated altar, with right. the burning. Yeah, but the burning. Well, when God melts something down, the, the cleansing fire mm-hmm. of God's judgment uh, is is associated with bronze. This right. shining, strong um, metal. Right. Heavy metal. Right. But the, it would be a visual reminder that God judges yeah. rightly. God will melt you down. <laughs> Essentially, put you through the smelter and refine you, right? That is a picture that comes back yeah. in the prophets. Here's that yeah. passage we were looking for in Hebrews 13. Oh, where, we um, have an, another altar? Well, that one? right. Where the writer says, he's talking about Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. So don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it's good to the oh, yeah. heart, good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Right? So he's talking about the old law. The old and law. keeping the old yeah. law. And then he says, uh, through foods through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. In other words, keeping the law didn't do anything. Didn't do much. Doesn't do anything for right. you. It's simply a picture. And here's the, the, the verse I was aiming for. But we have an altar, we in Christ, have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Mm, this is what we're talking about right here. Right. Yeah. Because we have participated in the death and the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once for all. Yeah. So you could say, you know, I started off saying that an altar is a kind of a killing place of sorts, is a sacrifice place. That even from what the writer of Hebrews is saying there is that we as Christians also have a killing place mm-hmm. and it's the cross. It's the cross where the sacrifice was made on our behalf. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, we have a we have another altar. We have an altar that those people who served at that old tabernacle and temple, what they ate off of, they can't benefit from. Our altar in that metaphoric sense is the cross itself. And you know, Paul says in uh, Galatians two twenty, I've died. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Yeah, right? I've been there crucified with Christ. My life yeah. has been given up and I've received a, right. a new, a replacement life yeah. from yeah. God himself, a so, holy life. So it's a place where there's death and where we benefit from life. Mm-hmm. You know, a life is given for our benefit and we come up living. I've been crucified with Christ. And and now the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in, this, in the right. Son of God. So uh, who gave himself up. So here's the sacrifice, is the transfer of life. There was another place in Galatians I had, I forgot about that one, but in Galatians 6, he says in 14, but, you know, far be it for me to boast, except oh, in the, except in the cross, cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the killing place again, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Hmm. Death, a two-way death. The world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world here. And yet I find life in Christ at the cross because he is the sacrifice lamb. So this, this imagery from very early in the life of Israel that we're getting at the top of the of Mount Sinai, this is working its way all the way out in its final end realization in Christ dying on the cross on our behalf. Fascinating. So as we kind of wrap back to coming into, if you enter the outer court mm-hmm. of the tabernacle, the, the fenced yard around the tent where God lives, the first thing and the biggest thing you encounter is that bronze altar. It would, be, it would be sacrifice. intimidating, too. You'd be seeing things dying. If you're coming to meet with God, yeah. there's going to be sacrifice. Yep. Because there yep. has to be a penalty paid for sin in order to come in. But there's another element. Yeah, it's of, deliberately in the pathway toward God. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. another element of what happens at the altar, and that is as the animal is sacrificed, the meat is 
cooked, uh-huh. and then you eat it. Yeah. Right? So Taking there's, in. Uh, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about being a participant in the altar. Yes. Right? Don't you know exactly. that when you eat in the altar of an idol, you're participating in that altar? Well, we, in taking the, the symbol of the body mm-hmm. and the blood of Christ, are participating in his altar. Yeah. And the sacrifice. And that's an important distinction. It's not, we're not spectators. No. In this we salvation. Are we have to participate. Not that we, not that we actually accomplish anything, but what we have to say is, I want to be part of we this. We have a part. Yeah. Yes. I want to be part of this, although the sacrifice is Christ on our behalf, but I want to be part of this. So you eat. That's a way of, mm-hmm. that's actually a very old kind of pagan idea as well, is. is that anything from, anything from pagan gods, if you take it into yourself, you're taking in a piece of right. that God. Right. Right. So God's just well, using that that's culturally. what made it so appalling yeah. when Jesus said, now this is my body and blood, eat it. Right, right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they said, you want us to eat your flesh? Is that what you're saying? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the point at which people left his ministry. Yeah. Right? When he said, yeah, unless too you eat the flesh of the Lamb of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Right. And, and people at that point said, whoo. Too weird for me. This is John six, I think. John where six, that is I think too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And too weird for me. I'm out of here. And he turns to the other disciples and says, "Are you going away too?" Right. And Peter says, "Lord, where else will we go? Yeah. You have the words You've got of the eternal words. life." Yeah. So when he says, "Drink my blood," which sounds very Dracula-like to yeah. us, <laughs> but again, we said the blood symbolizes the transferring of life from one to another. So what all he's saying, literally, right there, and is the strongest way he can, is that. The life that I have now, I give to you if you'll take it into you, if mm-hmm. you'll receive it. All you have to do is receive it. You can't take any credit for what's going on to your benefit, but you do have to say, I'll receive it. And but there's theology in there, right? We know that we are what we eat. And, well, that's and true. What we, yeah. what we ingest literally becomes the stuff which produces life in us. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's the picture. Yeah. yeah. Right. The life of Christ in us. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're out of time. Yeah, you Look know what I, we got from the bronze altar. Well, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm thinking too, if I'm a person outside of the courtyard area of the tabernacle, and I'm looking over, I may perhaps see the presence of God in the column of smoke and in the the light and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And then in the courtyard, you're going to see billowing black smoke. Mm-hmm. You'll see two things billowing up, and you'll smell it. And you'll so smell you know it. the tabernacle is constructed to appeal to all of our senses. Yeah. So we'll yeah. come back to that. Yeah, but it's kind of a, when you look at that, it'd be kind of a good news, bad news. Good news, Mm. God is here. Bad news is something has to pay for our failings. Mm. Yeah, so those two two issues are coupled together with what you'd see just looking in from the outside of this. Well, so I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we're glad you're with us. We're going to stay in the courtyard, maybe even get to the gate of the courtyard next time. But we're going to do that as we get together next time on More Than Than Ink. Than Inc. is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Sometimes we can do it. (laughs) Sometimes it just happens.